welcome to Living a Sensory Life, a podcast that I've started talking all things sensory. So my name's Becky, I'm the founder of Sensory Spectacle, and I've run this podcast to teach you all about sensory processing disorder. We're going to be interviewing people, we're going to be sharing strategies, I'm going to be giving you research, and I'm also going to be explaining things to you so that you can help to understand the child or adult you care for or support just that little bit better. So we've spoken about how we can recognise sensory processing difficulties and how we might be able to explain specific sensory needs to family members and friends. So this week I wanted to talk about how we can explain sensory processing difficulties to professionals. So it might be teachers in school, college lecturers, um, our managers, our bosses, people who we might then require certain aspects of support with. And so we can just help them to understand those sensory needs in order for us to thrive, to do our best in school and education, as well as in work. So first of all, we need to think about, so what can sensory processing difficulties mean for you or your child? So if you're an adult and you're going to work, how do your sensory differences impact your everyday life? Is it that you are really sensitive to sound and so in noisy, busy environments find it really difficult to concentrate? Does your child find it really difficult to be in an environment where there's lots of people because of the busyness, because of the smell, because of the sound? Do they fidget around quite a lot when they're sitting? How do they find meal times? How do they understand what's happening on a day-to-day basis? So we need to think about all of the sensory systems. So when I'm teaching about sensory processing disorder, I usually refer to eight senses. So that's our sense of sight, hearing, smell, taste, touch, body awareness, our proprioceptive sense, movements, our vestibular sense, and our internal sense of interoception. All of these senses, we really need to understand for your child or yourself, which sensory systems do they have processing difficulties with and what does that mean? So what things do you notice that they do? Do they sit there and chew on things while they're concentrating? Do they hum? Do they make noises while they're concentrating? Maybe they become very easily visually distracted with the things that are happening around them. Then identifying when do you recognise them doing that? Is it to help them to concentrate? Is it something that is a strategy for them to be able to do the best that they can in that environment? We then need to think about what does that mean in regards to sensory processing disorder? So on all of my workshops, when I teach you about becoming that sensory detective, I teach you, yes, we need to understand which sensory system it is, but also what does it mean? Do they have modulation difficulties where someone finds it difficult to recognise 
the amount of intensity. So we might classically refer to that as someone who seeks out sensory input or avoids sensory input. Maybe someone has discrimination difficulties with their body awareness, so they find it difficult to know how much force and pressure to use. Or with our auditory sense, where a sensation, where that sound has come from. So they may not lift up their head straight away to speak to the teacher, because actually they're trying to organise, trying to work out where has that sound located from, for them to be able to then lift up their head and look towards the teacher. So once we recognise the sensory system, we then need to understand what that means. So are they doing chewing on their pen or their top or an object? Because that chewing really helps them to organise their senses. So they're seeking out, they're looking for more of that sensory input. They've got something called a really low threshold, sorry, a high threshold, meaning that they need more sensory input. If someone's sensitive to to sound, then they have a really low threshold, which means they only need a tiny amount of sound before it's then too much. And so you might then have someone who covers their ears or puts their fingers in their ears or maybe hums or taps or makes sound in order to help uh, reduce, block out the other sounds which are overwhelming them. They're in control of that sound then. So once we can understand what that means, we then know the terminology, we know the words, we know um, the, what information we can pass over to that professional. So for a teacher, for example, you can explain that your child covers their ears because they find a lot of the auditory information is overwhelming for them. And so by covering their ears, they're helping to filter out those sounds. You can explain that they have a really low threshold to sound, so they can only recognise a small amount of auditory input before it's too much. Another term is being hypersensitive to sound. They're an avoider to sound. And so when you can explain this to the professional, it helps them to understand better about your child or about yourself, but also it means that you can then start to have conversations about how they can then support them in that environment. So if it is a teacher and your child's hypersensitive to sound, they may recognise that student covering their ears, your child. They may notice them putting their fingers in their ears. Or they may notice them speaking really loudly a lot of the time. Or humming or maybe covering their ears and speaking really loudly. So rather than then these being misunderstood as some of those negative behaviours, actually you're already preparing the teacher to recognise a purpose behind why your child or the student may do some of these things to regulate out auditory input. We also need to explain that if that person finds it difficult to regulate themselves, so to reduce auditory input, cover their ears, then it's going to reflect in, in the classroom environment, in the work that they're doing. They may well find it really difficult to concentrate. They might find themselves distracting themselves because actually there's too much going on. So by distracting themselves, 
it's helping them to distract from the overwhelming feeling that they're feeling from all of the sounds that are happening. We can then explain the different ways that we recognise that child or person or yourself when they're supporting themselves through, say, their hypersensitivity to sound. So explain how at home they may support themselves. So it might be that at home you don't notice them covering their ears or them putting their fingers in their ears, but maybe they're humming or they're making sounds or they're repeating things. Maybe they like something that vibrates or white noise and that helps them to reduce out some of the auditory input. Or it may actually be that at home the auditory processing is easier for them to organise whereas in a classroom environment it can be a lot more unpredictable. And we know for people with sensory processing difficulties, there's a need for them to feel in control in order to support themselves. Just imagine, in our environments, things are constantly changing. Every day, the sun is a different intensity. Every day, the temperature is different. Every day, the colours are different. The sounds are different. And we may be able to adapt to those changes because we've we've had the experience of it but for people with sensory processing difficulties where they may already have a high level of anxiety because they're not sure how busy somewhere's going to be or how bright something's going to be or how smelly something's going to be we'll recognize these characteristics more obviously because they'll be preparing themselves for those situations so we'll see someone who's preparing themselves maybe by humming or covering their ears before they've even entered a room, whether it's a party or a classroom. And all of that is to help reduce that anxiety, but to reassure themselves that they are in control. So a classic characteristic for someone who's hypersensitive to sound actually is someone who speaks quite loudly but at the same time they may be covering their ears and as you can imagine for many people that's really confusing because if someone's really sensitive to sound why do they speak loudly because they're going to be then making more sound but actually that's the coping strategy that helps to reduce out all the other sounds because by me speaking loudly, I'm in control of that sound and it's the sound that I'm most familiar with because it's my sound. So I then find it easier to regulate out all the other sounds that might be in that environment that I can't control. So when you're explaining to a professional or manager at work, think about your own sensory needs. Explain how you support yourself or how your child supports themselves. Try and write all these things down. Explain what that means in regards to sensory processing disorder. So are they hypersensitive? They have a really low threshold. Are they hyposensitive? And they have a really high threshold, so they spend a lot of their time seeking out sensory input. Do they have discrimination difficulties? Or do they have motor-based difficulties? Explain these things and explain then how that relates to your child or, or yourself. 
but then you also need to share extra information. So extra information about that child or yourself and how you support yourself outside of work or education. Because by giving more information about your overall sensory needs or your child's overall sensory needs, we're helping to not just spread more awareness, but really help the teacher to understand, okay, I'm aware that they're covering it, there is. However, we're in this new environment and I've recognised that they've started to hum and speak really loudly. That will already help them to have that understanding before those situations happen. Also, when you're talking to professionals and managers, it's, it's really helpful if you can give strategies. So if you can give ways that your child or yourself, you support yourself. So do they have at home a visual timeline? How do they know what they're doing every day? Or when they're getting dressed, do they have visual pictures? Do they use timers? might be a visual timer, it might be an auditory timer, it might be a weight-based timer. Are there photos explaining things? Do you get out of an environment when something's overwhelming? So going out for a walk or doing a helpful job. So in school, some really helpful jobs might be pushing a trolley down to the reception. So a good one is... Um, doing the um, check-in every morning, how can they help out around school, pushing books and taking the register, whatever it might be, down to reception during the day. Other strategies might be physical things. So some people do have fidgets, so things to squeeze, things to pull, things to chew on, things to smell. All of those things are incredibly important to explain and to help others understand. If those things aren't recognised, then that's when misunderstanding these sensory needs as behaviours may fall in. So if someone does require that proprioceptive input, so they chew on things, they require it in their, in their face, in their jaw, that's what really helps them to concentrate. If they don't have that access to the thing that they're chewing on, it can really, it can really impact the way that they're able to concentrate. And so if it's supported as a behaviour, so if, it, if the item's removed or only given as a reward or even stopped, that can have a negative impact for that student. So their body will still be requiring that input, which then means if they're not allowed to access it, they'll find it really difficult to concentrate. And they'll try and find another way of getting that input in. And that's when we might notice some of these other behaviours that some people find really difficult to understand. Also, when you're explaining to um, education settings, we can really help to build their confidence in creating strategies to support all students and not just your child. So everyone benefits from sensory input. There's break times and lunch times and movement breaks in school and they're there for a purpose. They're there for a reason not just for the teachers to have a break. They're there for the students in order to be able to get outside, to rest their brains, to be able to think differently, think creatively, explore, move their bodies.
And so some ways that you can then share with that teacher or your manager could be that everyone has regular movement breaks. So yes, you have playtime, you have lunchtime, you have other times throughout the day where you get in that physical input. But it could be something as simple as a quick head, shoulders, knees and toes tapping activity for a couple of minutes. So you could say head, shoulders, knees, toes, toes, knees, shoulders, head. Mix it up, get them moving. Also identifying body parts, really physical way just to wake themselves up. And that can then be that movement break before you sit down. I know other settings have created movements based on, say, five or six different animals. So frog jumps, for example, buzzy bee, slippery snake. At the beginning of the day, different students will choose what movement breaks they'll have throughout the day. So then they create a timeline showing when the movement breaks are going to be throughout the day. So it might be mid-morning, then there might be another one after break time, there might be another one before lunchtime. Another one after lunchtime and then one before the end of the day. So the students have chosen what movement breaks they're getting in and you're helping to support everyone by providing that body awareness, that proprioceptive input. So a really good strategy to help professionals be aware. Um, other things are making sure that there's the regular toilet breaks. We know many people with sensory processing difficulties find it really difficult to understand their internal messages, their interoceptive messages. So these are messages from all of our internal organs, so our heart, our bladder, our stomach. And it gives us information to tell us how we're feeling. So if someone finds it difficult to feel when they need to go to the toilet, and it's a very immediate thing, so as soon as they say they need to go to the toilet, they really need to go, otherwise they may have an accident. That can relate to our interoceptive recognition, those messages. And so by having regular toilet breaks, you're encouraging not just everyone to be able to go to the toilet, but also the students that find it difficult to recognise those sensations giving them more opportunities to be able to go at a time when they need to go. And another thing that's really helpful in classroom settings for all children are having pictures and visuals to help reinforce what they're learning. So it might be that you're learning about a particular country and you have a photo that represents that country. It might be that you're doing certain type of maths and you've got a picture, a photo that represents that type of maths. We can't explain how important visuals are to learning. And if we have more visual information around, especially for people who have sensory processing difficulties, they'll not only immediately feel a lot more in control of what's happening around them, but they'll able, be able to prepare themselves a lot better as well. So when we explain to professionals about our child or about our own sensory needs, be confident. You're the one that knows your child or your own sensory needs the best. Try and take some time to write down some notes. So that then you can explain all these things I've been talking about in a very logical way, but also a way that's specific for your child or yourself. 
Sensory processing difficulties are different for everyone. So it may have been that that teacher has had a conversation in the past about someone's sensory needs and they feel that they already know it. And that may be the case. However, if you can, try and explain to them your child's specific needs. So why is it different for them? How do you support them at home or how do other people support them when they go to clubs and groups and when they're in busier environments? If you'd like to know more about what their sensory characteristics are like during the day, maybe you can start to encourage a diary. They can write down any feedback, any notes throughout the day. So then you've got a better awareness of how your child's manage it within school, as well as what you're aware of as to how they manage themselves at home. We know that many people show different characteristics of sensory needs in education to what they do at home. And I've got a, a video explaining all of that on my YouTube channel. So feel free to have a look at that. Just search for Sensory Spectacle and you'll find all of my videos on there. Otherwise, to summarise, how can we explain sensory processing difficulties for you or your child in education or at work? Identify your own or your child's sensory characteristics. What are their overriding sensory needs? Do they seek? Do they avoid? And what sensory systems might it be? If you need to know more about that, you can check out the online training on our website, but also our other workshops. Once you know that, recognise when do they do those things? What do they do and when do they do it? So are they chewing when they're concentrating? Are they covering their ears when the sound's too much or are they always covering their ears? Relate it to yourself or your, your child specifically and then help them to know how you currently support yourself or your child supports themselves when they're at home. Because all of this information is gonna be really supportive for the teacher or for your manager to be able to then support you or your child better as well. This podcast was brought to you by Sensory Spectacle. You can find out more about our immersive training and workshops on our website, sensorispectacle.co.uk. We educate about and create awareness of sensory processing disorder internationally. We travel the world helping parents and professionals to understand specific characteristics relating to sensory processing needs. On our website, you'll find books, sensory support items, classroom resources, as well as information about our trainings. If you have any questions, please do get in touch. We love to hear from you. But otherwise, thanks for listening.